One of the best aspects of getting into ADV writing is the ADV community. Over the years, it has developed into a passionate, diverse, and tightly-knit group of writers who, while we may be a little crazy, know what it means to live every day to its fullest. How has the ADV community changed over the years, and what's to come? Find out on this episode of ADV Moto Live. Nobody can claim to have held more ADV events or to have inspired and supported more adventures on both two and four wheels. With a whopping 225 events spanning six continents going back to 2001, everyone please welcome the founders of Horizons Unlimited, Grant and Susan Johnson. Hi, Carl. Hi, Carl. How's it going, guys? Nice to have you here. It's been a while since we've had a chance to catch up on things. Where are you guys at right now? We're in Vancouver and not enjoying the current rain that we're getting. Are you guys getting a lot of rain right now? Well, just today. It's been beautiful and hot and sunny, and but today we've got rain. Going riding on, on Monday, so hopefully it'll dry up by then. Oh, wow. Any flooding problems? No, no, not that kind of rain. We don't get that volume here. Can you guys give a quick introduction of yourselves, and what do you guys do? Okay, I'm, I'm Grant, Susan, and we run Horizons Unlimited events, as you mentioned earlier, all over the world. Um, well, I started out riding when I was 16, started on a bicycle, actually started on a bicycle at about 10, and then I saw motorcycles and thought, hmm, that's better than this pedaling nonsense, so ended up with a motorcycle on my 16th birthday, and it's gone from there. Just kept on riding and doing stuff, and dealer and racing and all kinds of stuff. And started to think, you know, now what? What's next? You know, and a ride trip around the world sounded like a good idea. And then I met. And uh, I'd never been on a motorcycle before I met Grant. Um, and lots of people in my family and friends thought it was an absolutely suicidal thing to be doing. Uh, so we, but we hit it off and, and I, wanted to travel and he wanted to uh, go around the world on a motorcycle. So we, uh, our, our, when we our first conversation was about what do you want to do with your life? And we decided, well, okay, we could continue the conversation. And then uh, about a year later, we had uh, sold all our things and, and uh, got on, I got on the back of this motorcycle and we headed, headed off on what we thought was going to be a three year trip around the world. Turned out to be about 12 years for lots of reasons. <laughs> Because we kept running out of money, uh, yeah, having, to do. having to stop and work, and um, and then we, when we came home, uh, finally we started a website. Actually, we started so before we came home. While we, we were traveling, we still we started the website, um, but we've been traveling quite a bit by then, and um, the website just grew. Grant's full time on it since 1997. Well, we were in Ushuaia, Argentina, waiting for the boat that takes you to Antarctica. Since you're at the bottom of South America, where else are you going to go, right? You've got to keep going as far as you can. <clears throat> so CompuServe, which we'd been on since the beginning in 86, said to us, um, you can have a website. And I remember thinking, what's a website? Oh, okay. Well, they had software you could download and away you go. So we spent a couple of days putting that together, which was basically simply made up of emails that we had sent home to family saying, this is what we're doing, where we're going, what's been going on. <clears throat> And the funny part was, by the time we got back from Antarctica, which was, how many days was that? Like eight. Eight days? We had emails already from people asking us various questions about how we did various things. One of them that I will never forget was a guy wrote and asked, can you send me the fax numbers for all the hotels that you stayed at in Tunisia? 
Huh? No, they don't have facts. Sorry. <laughs> you just rock up to the door and say, what do you got? Here's a question. You guys have been there for a lot of people when they were starting a journey. How did you start your journey, and why did you feel the impulse to leave and ride around the world in the first place? Well, I always wanted to travel more. I'd done some traveling um, when I was growing up, and I wanted to kind of see more of the world. Um, I think Grant just felt he'd, he'd exhausted all of the interesting roads you know, anywhere in kind of Canada or the U.S., and so he really needed to go a little further. Um, but he hadn't found anybody to travel with him, and he doesn't like to travel by himself. So it was hard for him to find someone crazy enough to just throw everything up and um, and go travel. Well, I confess that I it never occurred to me to go by myself at that point in time. <laughs> just, huh? But now, yeah, okay. But sure, much better together. So, Susan, had you spent any time on the back of a bike before that? Before we left, yes, we we had some what you know we call shakedown trips where I had to get used to being on the back of the bike. I've never had any urge to ride my own motorcycle, and and I'm I don't really even like driving cars all that much. So to me, it was it was a perfect opportunity to just uh, be able to enjoy the experience and the trip, and uh, let somebody else worry about the driving. We've always divided up the tasks, so it's a kind of a team effort. So I'm I'm the logistics person and the navigator, and he's the uh, person that gets the bike going and keeps it going. It works out pretty well. We find it's important to split up the work. You know, I, we've seen couples that head off, and he does the hotel planning, he does the route planning, he fixes the bike, he maintains the bike, he rides the bike, and she's trying to figure out, why am I here? And what you end up with is she's unhappy because she's feel, she feels useless, and he's unhappy because he's doing all the work. Well, yeah. You've got to split up the tasks here and become a team and work together to make it happen. Really important to work that out in advance. I think it's nice to have a purpose when you travel. Your experience is uh, different when you go somewhere and uh, also have a focus. How did you guys keep yourselves engaged while you were on the road? I would say that we were probably too goal-oriented in the beginning uh, because the goal was, to some extent, Grant's goal about, you know, I want to go around the world on a motorcycle. And so that was kind of the, and we only had three years. We figured three years would be enough time. And we figured we had saved, you know, we'd saved for about two years before we headed off. And we figured we'd saved like a fortune. We'd saved, I think, $20,000. Well, this um, was 1987. It was a fair amount of money then. But I hadn't bought the yeah. bike yet. So, you know, 20000 then you have to buy the bike, and then you have to fix up the bike, and et cetera. And so the next thing you know, you've got less money. But nonetheless, we, we started off and, and we discovered some things about the way we travel, which is that we didn't want to go fast. We wanted to go slow. And we literally, I think we set the record for the longest time to get from Vancouver to Panama, literally nine months. You know? <laughs> and wow. in uh, 21, 28 nine days months. or something, I think. <laughs> yeah, we're a month in, you know, three months in Mexico, a month in Guatemala, you know, a month in Costa Rica. It just, it just, Grew. And, and at the end of that, what we discovered was that we really liked traveling slowly. We liked meeting people. We liked getting into the cultures and, and, and getting into just the people as, as we put, you know, the people that you meet and the, and the experiences that you have. That's really what you're looking for. It's not to be able to say, I went from point A to point B in two days. So right. I think the goal orientation part. And, and unfortunately, that's what a lot of people still are aiming for. I've got, 
X amount of vacation. I'm going to, this is where I have to get to. I got to do this many days, this many miles a day and this many countries in 10 days, whatever. That's just, that's just a, you might as well say, well, I'm going to climb Mount Everest because, because it's there and I want a sense of accomplishment. Fine. But like, we've never had the aspiration to say, well, let's go around the world in the shortest period of time. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) yeah. <laughs> Other people might aspire to that, but uh, that's just so, not been not been our style. Yeah. So, so I guess you know. Uh, so I guess some of the, some of the images here. I guess these were from from that. Trip. Yeah, that's Africa there. Yeah. We just stopped for the uh, visit to the bushes, and people just came out. Said, Hi, what are you doing? Oh, well, that's that, that's cool. That's cool. Out of out of all the continents that you visited, uh, or, or or the countries, did, did you have any that you just kind of particularly loved? You know, during your time, Africa, there? Africa was big. Um, we go back to Africa anywhere in a heartbeat. It's just an amazing continent. The people are wonderful. There's so much to see, and of course, the animals are amazing. Yeah, there's just lots to see. Yeah. yeah. How about how about any favorite places in South America? South America. Well, Susan's frustrated yeah. because we had an issue on the way back. Long story, but basically, we were heading back, and Susan had a contract already lined up in Victoria, BC. So we were kind of rushing up the Pan American Highway. Then we hit the washed out Pan American Highway. So discovered that we were making 30 miles a day instead of 300. So she ended up flying back and missing Colombia, which is where she really wanted to go because she'd lived there for two years as a child. Wow. And we missed, wow. we missed Ecuador. I missed Ecuador as well. But yeah, Colombia is the country in South America that I really want to get back to. We, we enjoyed a lot of South America. I mean, we, we landed in, um, in, Buenos Aires. Buenos Aires from from Cape Town. We flew to Buenos Aires and we then headed south and and so we did kind of a bottom of the west coast, uh, bottom of the east coast, and then all the way up the west coast. Well, this picture is interesting because this is the first other motorcycle traveler we met so far in the entire trip, and we were nearing the end. That was Greg Frazier. Oh, right on, right on. So you would how many? Would you say you went up to sixty countries on that trip? Um, I think fewer than that. Maybe yeah. maybe forty something, and then we. A few others on the bike since then, but yeah, but, we've done a lot of traveling since then as well. But but we are not uh, by any stretch of the imagination the most traveled people that we know. I mean, we know people who've done a hundred and twenty something countries. Well, one hundred and ninety-seven. <laughs> hundred and ninety-seven. Every country in the world, Peter and Kay Forward. Yeah. Well, but there's a guy that's goal oriented. Let me tell you. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> His whole point was to be the most traveled motorcycle. Yeah, they did it on a. Is that the Harley? Yeah. Yep. Box, yeah, standard Harley Electric Glide, and they knew nothing about how to fix the bike. So when it broke, which of course it did on a regular basis, considering the mileage it had, we ended up somewhere around half a million miles. Kay would read the manual and tell him what to do. And he'd try and fix it. <laughs> Worked awesome. for them again. Teamwork. <laughs> go team, man. Yeah, sure. that's that, that's how. This, so so, how did you go from having all these cool experiences to you know founding Horizons Unlimited? You know, how did that kind of congeal. Well, that was, well, we had the website started in Ushuaia and it just, people just kept asking us questions. So uh started a forum because I was tired of answering what's a carne on a daily basis. <laughs> so we started putting all that information up and people could ask questions and it just kind of rolled. I was working on my photographs to give to a stock agency um, and the website was supposed to be a part-time thing while I was working on the part that was making money, the photographs. And uh, it just grew and grew and grew and grew. So from there, it just kept on going. 
and and we so so the short answer, Carl, is none of it was planned. Yeah, totally. If we if we had planned it, uh, who knows how where we would have ended up. And and even things like the events. I mean, the first event wasn't like we set out and said, "Oh, let's have an event." It was like, well, we were in England and we were planning to move back to Canada. And we, by this time, a number of people, you know, were kind of. Yeah, that was, that was 2001. Our, yeah, in our orbit, <laughs> if you will, for three or four years after we finished the traveling. Uh, and we said, well, we're heading back to Canada. We're going to have a going away party. Anybody want to come? And, uh, and it's going to be in our backyard in, um, in west, west of London. And so we got like, Thought thirty something people showed up, at, all the way from Norway. Some of them came, uh, and they camped for the out weekend. We for the weekend. <laughs> camped out in the backyard, and and they went, "Wow, this was great! Let's let's do it again." And we're like, "Well, we're not going to be here. We're going to be in Canada. So you know, someone else is going to have to put their hand up to to do the next one." And sure enough, um, someone did. And uh, so kudos to Glenn Roberts. Yeah. And so that then started the UK meeting, which then grew and grew and grew. And uh, we started, when we got back to Canada, we started a Canada meeting and kind of expanded from there. And but it's always been organic growth because it's always depended on somebody putting their hand up and saying, I want to run an event you know, and, yeah. and we help. But we don't go out and say, we're going to have an event in X location and, you know, let's bring in the, the crew. It doesn't work that way. Well, we have lots of people ask us, why don't you have a meeting where I live? <laughs> um, well, you're going to put your hand up and make it happen? Happy to. But otherwise, no, sorry. We can't find a location from here that's halfway around the world. So if you want an event, put your hand up. That's how it works. And it's all volunteer run everywhere. Yeah, I mean, that's an amazing thing about the A2 events is that is that there's there's so much volunteer and there's such a passion. I mean, there's a powerfully, I mean, powerfully passionate community pretty much all over the world. You know that did put their hand up, and they did run these yeah, things. And you know that, that uh, you know they're so focused on making a great event, and they, they want to make sure that people have a good time, uh, that everything works well. So they ask us a lot of questions, um, and we help them out a lot because lots of Skype calls are our normal thing. And, uh, we help them out, and we have to say thank you to all the amazing numbers of volunteers. I mean, people show up at a meeting and say, "What can I do to help?" And that's that's great. Let me let me give you uh, just one example of of the 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 way that people become kind of committed to all of this. We ha encountered a couple of people, one Swiss, one German, uh, Heike and, and Filippo, uh, at an event in Germany, and, and they weren't together. They weren't together at the they're, time. They were just there for the event. They're just there, and they kind of met and got to know each other, and then they went to one of our home events in Spain. A little while later, and then they really got connected, and the next thing you know, they were a couple. And fast forward, they decided to go off traveling and around the world. And uh, the next time we caught up with them was in Australia, actually. They, they were just at, walked up to us at an event. Hi. They were at this Australia event, and uh, eventually they came back to and settled down in Switzerland. And they are now the organizers of our Switzerland meeting. So you know, they they kind of. They say basically that if it hadn't been for Horizons Unlimited, they wouldn't have ended up together in the first place. So we kind of changed their life, and they're now trying to give back uh, to other people and inspire other people. And that's what we say about to people is the idea is that you, you come to these events, you get inspired, you go off and travel, you come back, and then you help other people to uh, to get off and, and get inspired. So it's a nice it's a nice circle. It looks like XL ADV is in the chat room. We said a... Uh, Flip and Nicole have gotten me to go to maybe four HU events near Yosemite. You know, I mean, how many events do you guys, or, or 
at least, you know, in the, in the past few years. I know that this year is kind of crazy. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, how many events do you guys run in the United States? In the U.S., um, North, we have five. North, yeah, North Carolina, Virginia. We've had Colorado in the past. Um, California. California. What else? Well, we've done some. But, yes. Um, yeah. And there was the Mountain Madness, yes, too. Yeah. We've right? done that yeah. in the Appalachians and in Arizona. Yeah, that's right. And then you have some in, in Canada, too, right? BC. Yep. We run the Ken West Travelers Meeting. has been going since 2002. That was the second event we ever held. And uh, we've been running the Humphrey since 2015. And then uh, Ontario. We run events in Ontario. And uh, this year, wow. we expected to run our first Newfoundland event, which will next be next year instead. It's been postponed a little bit. It's been postponed. So, so yeah. In North America, um, eight or nine in Europe, and then Af- Africa, South America, Asia. So uh, every other co- every other continent except Antarctica, I think we've worked out. We've had events. Well, actually, we did have one there. We heard about it after the event. A guy who was working at one of the research stations down there marched out a printed <laughs> Horizons Unlimited poster, stuck it in the ground, and said, "Horizons Unlimited Travelers Meeting, Antarctica." Wow, that's that's wild. <laughs> I mean, did you guys ever imagine that that's... No, had no idea. Like Susan was saying earlier, it's been completely organic growth by volunteers, people who get passionate about travel and find out that, you know, you can have a really exciting life and exciting trip and you can actually do it, possible. And they get out and they do it and they just think it, we hear so often, it changed my life. And that's a wonderful thing to hear. Of course, sometimes I ask, was it a good change? Um, they usually say, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing about adventure, right? It's a mixed bag. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's kind of like uh, kind of like the benefits come through struggle. Yeah. And one of the you things know? that we found is that people really, their approach to life changes quite a bit. They suddenly realize after at the end of a trip that, you know, I can do anything I set my mind to. I can solve problems. I can figure it out. I'll make it. And you know what? There's an awful lot of really good people out there. And that's a, an amazingly strong realization. Remember when we left, set it off in 87, Susan's mother with tears in her eyes said, I don't expect to ever see you alive again. The other <laughs> statement she said was, and you'll never get a job either. <laughs> if you survive, that was her other opinion, which yeah. hasn't turned yeah. out to be the case. <laughs> We've had reports from a number of people that say they came back from a trip and their new job was better. And the fact that they had done the trip was actually a plus to their new employers. They've proven that they can deal with problems and solve issues and accomplish something big. That's that's really cool to hear. Yeah, And cultural sensitivity as well, especially for companies that are doing business all over the world. Having had the exposure to different places and and realized, you know, that it's it's different, but it's different and it's good and, and you can kind of adapt, if you will, to different environments uh, and be flexible. Those are all really important things for uh, for companies uh, and employers. Yeah, and and they're all really important. First and foremost, for your for your, for yourself. You, you know, I think when you're when when you're getting through the grind, you know, and you're and you're younger, you know, and you, and you're thinking, oh, you know, I have, I have to follow this track. You know, uh, I have to do my high school. I have to do then four years or whatever of university. And then I want to get, get, get out, get a job, and then I'm going to find the person I love and, you know, kids and white picket yeah, fence. Yeah, picket fence. One, and, one, and one and a half kids or two dogs and a cat or something. You know what I mean? Uh, life just absolutely throws all kinds of artillery shells at that. And then you end up zigzagging 
all over the place. But the thing about adventure is, is it, is that becomes okay because that's what you do. So your, your perspective on hardship is totally different, you know? So a problem for someone that's been through adventure, you know, and had a personal transformation because of hardship is different than a problem that someone that hasn't, you know? Um, and it brings you confidence. Um, right. And also how about personal instincts? You know what I mean? Like the, so you talked about, you know, you know, uh, being culturally, uh, you know, more culturally aware or more culturally sensitive. For sure. But there's also just the, just the instincts that we develop. I mean, I mean, do you guys have a similar experience, you know, where you're traveling, you can't really, you know, use English language as a common language. And a lot of these places you have a lot of body language and yeah. things like that, you know, but, but you learn to survive out there. Sure. You know? I mean, did you guys have any experiences with that that are vivid? Everywhere. You know, you, you yeah. sign language. I mean, I remember going into a hotel in Germany somewhere, and I speak no German, but Danke. And I walked into the hotel, and she started talking to me in German. I said, sorry, I don't speak German. And she didn't speak English. But guess what? We figured out that I wanted a room and how much it cost. And yeah. it was not a problem. You know, you figure it out. One experience I had that was the most challenging that way was um, in Tunisia. Uh, when yeah. Grant got sick and we were not in the touristy parts of Tunisia, we were down in the southern part of Tunisia in a town where they didn't really get tourists. But, well, but, we were the only tourist in town. But, but Grant got sick, so we weren't going to be able to travel. And I was the one, the hotel did not have room service, you know, that would, that, or anything like that. It didn't even have a restaurant. It didn't even have a restaurant. And I was the one that had to go out and find food. In this place where the women only went out, you know, kind of in, in groups in the, in the morning early to get you know, the food and stuff. So there I am, you know, a, a strange person, a strange female wandering around in this town where nobody speaks English and I don't speak Arabic except to say shakran and trying to explain that I have this husband who's, who needs food and I need to find food. There's no supermarkets. You know, like the, the person who sells bread will take you to the person who sells, you know, meat or sells cheese or whatever. And, it, it, it's a, as you say, you get through some of these things and you think, okay, well, how hard can anything be after this, right? Yeah. <laughs> Eventually I he got it. better. He, you know, somebody gave him a shot and, and he perked up and yeah. he got That wasn't the first time either. It seems like a shot in the bum is what fixes me. But yeah. <laughs> no idea. What it's in your butt. Not a clue, but. But you, you get, yeah. a, you have to get over to start with. You have to get over the fear that, that, you know, people are going to be mean and they're going to, to not want to help you and that they're, they're going to be just looking for an excuse to, I don't know, give you a hard time. And, and in fact, it's almost never been the case. Usually, never, it never, yeah, has. never that we've experienced. Usually it's like, Oh, yeah. I mean, with me, I, you know, first off, I, you know, as soon as they know that you're actually a, a respectable married woman, as opposed to, but she's wearing pants. But I'm wearing pants, and I have this coat, this size, this length of hair. You know, so there's some curiosity there. But yeah. and uh, this is in an area where it's the full shador, the mm. whole robe covered to the eyes, the whole thing. And there's Susan out there wandering around. It's it's a little weird for them, but they were so friendly and so nice. It was just amazing. Yeah, right. You know, with this whole thing going on with COVID right now. <laughs> A lot of things are just on hold. It's not just events, but a lot of people's lives are just straight up on hold. And uh, one uh, one segment that has been getting a little bit of discussion lately, but uh, could probably deserve more, are young adults, you know, in their in their late teens, early mid twenties, and stuff like that. I mean, they're right in the middle of that time when you know they should be launching into their career and oh, just right. really setting themselves free. Yeah. And it's and it's got to be really trying and very difficult 
because uh, a lot of the routines, you know, I mean, if you go back to university, well, you're not doing in-person classes. Now they're charging more for a lot of universities. All the sports and stuff are gone. It's not the university experience that you're really paying for and signing up for. You know, so what advice would you give someone thinking about taking some time, let's say a year, to develop themselves through adventure? You know, what what would you kind of sort of bucket list are are some of the key benefits of having adventure experiences? That's a tricky one, but I think it's a matter of getting out there and learning, as we were talking about earlier, learning that you can do these things and gaining confidence. I think a, a lot of young people are a little nervous and they're not sure they're going to be able to do it. And their first job interview is absolutely terrifying. But if you get out there and start learning how to deal with borders, learning how to deal with strange languages, deal with shipping your motorcycle across a continent or across an ocean, I should say, you gain a lot of confidence and you've got so much more comfort with yourself and with the way the world works. I think that's hugely valuable. But Having said that, um, in the COVID, COVID world that we're in at the moment over the next year, you know, they may not be able to get the bike to another continent. So yeah. they've got to be maybe thinking about, well, where could we explore, you know, that doesn't require us flying somewhere or, you know, shipping a bike or whatever. Um, and, and I think there's still, especially if you look at North America, I mean, the diversity that you can find even within your own country is, is staggering. You know, like yeah. go out somewhere that you've not been before, meet people that, that you normally wouldn't interact with and, and experience things and challenges. Um, and, and those are all things that, as Grant said, will build your confidence, uh, going forward. And, and honestly, the other thing that happens when you're traveling is it should make you humble. You know, it should make you grateful for what you have and, and the fact that you have it so much better you know, for the most part, if you're, if you can afford a motorcycle and you can afford to travel at all, then you're already kind of better off than a hell of a lot of people. So appreciate what you do have and, uh, and try to empathize with the people who, who don't have those things or who are in worse shape. All of those, I think, make you a much more rounded individual and, and certainly not, it doesn't feel like a waste of a year. You know, if you're, if you're doing this, it's like, well, the Aussies have been doing gap years you know, forever. It's just a, Part of their culture. Of course, they have to, they always have to go somewhere on another continent because there's no place else to go but beyond Australia. You have to go on a boat somewhere. But yeah, it, it's a, it's a really good concept. I would recommend it you know, whether they're in COVID or, or going forward. It, you know, once things are a little more settled, uh, the borders will start to reopen and you'll be able to go further, but, but at least make the start. Do something. Main thing is to do something and not sit in your house and watch TV or play video games all day long. Get out and do an experience. And that's more valuable than anything else. Yeah, you know, I think a while ago we, we had talked about the concept of, of just sort of mini-adventures yeah. or micro-adventures, yep. right? Which is, you know, because a lot of the stuff we see, and of course in like ADV Moto, but you also see it on YouTube, you know, people are having these fantastic experiences traveling around these turquoise pools and the Amazon or whatever, and then it's like, well, that's really awesome, but that's actually impossible right now. Yes. Um, or you have people that are stuck there right now; they can't get out of it, <laughs> which, which is another different, form of hell. Yes. Different yes. <laughs> but you know, uh, yeah. I mean, what do you suggest if if you just was like, well, you know what? I really haven't even explored my backyard because I've always stick. You know, I've always stayed to interstates. Yeah. You know, or something like get that. off the interstate. You know I mean? That's the first step. Yeah. One obvious answer is, you know, you want to make it like random, 
just uh, you know, take take a map and you know blindfold yourself and you know throw a dart and wherever the dart lands, go there. Got to get there. Yeah. Um, like make that's great. The other one that I remember re- reading about was someone who started the, uh, a blog or a Facebook page or whatever, and and basically said asked for people to tell him where to go. And, uh, and then I think he, he was riding across the U.S. I can't remember where, but yeah. but I remember that was what he did. Like he would just follow you know whatever route people suggested if people invited him to come and stay for a while at their place or visit and that's where he went uh, actually you could you could go, contact all of the horizons unlimited communities in, in you know the vicinity of where you where you live and connect with them and and see what there is for them you know that they can show you about their neck of the woods because there's always special stuff no matter where uh, no matter where you are everybody's got some favorite roads and if you could go from community to community across the country and visit their favorite roads, I'm sure you'd find a lot of really cool roads and have a lot of fun. And you'd meet some interesting people. Yep, meet lots of good people. And you could do it off-road, too. I mean, there's several routes across the U.S. Mm-hmm. and up and down the U.S. Same in Canada. Across Canada, yeah. There's a cross-Canada yeah. Trail, Trans-Canada Trail, 13,000 kilometers. There is not much of a micro-adventure, but it certainly be an adventure. Yeah. So I, I think it's a matter of Deciding to do something and get out and have a micro-adventure. We've been talking micro-adventures for a long time because we've often had people say to us, oh, Horizons Unlimited, you guys are all about around-the-world trips. Well, um, no, because most people only do one of those, and not everybody can. A lot of people have kids and wives and jobs and parents that need looking after and all kinds of things. So have a micro-adventure. Get out and do something. Go somewhere, have some fun. Um, I don't care if you go a half a day's ride away from your house. Camp for the night and then come home the next morning. That's fine. Do something. Yeah, the main thing is it's different. Yes. You know, uh, yeah, it, it just it just needs to be different. And the more different it is, in essence, the more you're going to reflect back on yourself those those changes. Yeah. You know what I mean? And the more challenges that you have, the more you grow. If you look for, I mean, we've encountered travelers in the past whose attitude is, I don't want things to be any different than what they are at home. You know, so. So they will like go and stay in, you know, hotels that are kind of chain hotels, you know, so that they have a, a, a predictable experience. It's like, honestly, why don't you just stay home? Um, because to me, part of the, part of the fun is that it's different. Yeah. Go to a small town. Don't look for the chain hotels. Look for the little mom and pop hotel that's been there since the fifties. That'll be an experience and good for you. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I mean, it. yeah, you know, before the interstates were installed, oh, yeah. all these, all these two-lane roads were just were just bustling with with activity, and you know they were marvelous. And you know, and some of the old motels even have you know old photos of yeah. of those of those times. You know, just just hanging on the wall. I mean, they were family owned and everything like that. And they got and you look at the difference between you know those families running around. They had swimming pools that were just full of people playing and having fun, and restaurants and. You know what I mean? It was just it was just amazing. But then they put an interstate two miles away or a mile away even. I mean, like a one mile away even. Yeah. And uh, boy, it just turned into a ghost town. Yeah. You know? yeah. And I think that's really sad that that's happened. I mean, it's good for trucks that they can get goods across the country really fast. That's not great for travel. But I think for travelers and for people out to enjoy the country and to see their country, it's really sad. So you got to get off the interstate and... Do, do, do the back roads. I remember one guy told me at every significant intersection, I do a different turn than the last one. The last turn was a left. This one's a right. And that's how we traveled. 
always ended wow. up somewhere strange. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure he ended up somewhere strange. That's crazy. That's and uh, yeah, yeah, that's that, that's good. I mean, there was there was a there was a young man. You know, we had one of our stories a while ago. Traveled by by uh, ruckus. Yeah. From this area in Virginia down to Keys, then up to Dead Horse, then down into Mexico on a 50 cc. Yep. Good on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. W- one gallon at a time, a hundred miles to the gallon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's wonderful. That is, is fuel log, you know, like this big, like like that thin. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 wonderful. But the experience you have doing that is uh, absolutely amazing. And there's more more people doing that. People traveling on 125s yeah. now and and stuff. And I'm and I'm glad to see it. You know, we had a displacement bias in this country for a very long time, yeah. and there probably is still some. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah, it's there's not definitely as, quite a lot. Yeah, you know, but it's not as bad as it was. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, 20, 30 years ago or something. No, like I that, don't know. There's an awful lot of people who did big trips on really small bikes. I remember a, a couple, uh, two Japanese got couple, a Japanese couple met a couple of Australians. The Australians were on DR650s, XT500 DR650, I think. And the uh, Japanese couple were on a pair of 110cc step throughs. Nice. They left Cape Town on the same day. When they, sorry, they left Cairo on the same day and they arrived in Cape Town on the same day. Wow. So it, it's the size of the bike really doesn't matter. It's how hard you want to go, how long you want to ride each day, and you can bet who had the better gas mileage all the way through too. And when things got tough, you can pick one of those one tens up and carry it. Yeah, yeah, or throw it in the back of someone's truck so, if it. Yeah, they fit in somebody's trunk in a car. <laughs> I know it's awesome. I love it. I absolutely love it. I absolutely love it. So over over all the years, I guess about twenty years or so, you know, have you have you seen uh, you know, changes in, in the ADV world. You guys are tapped into this on a global scale that a lot of people are not, um, you know, uh, so uh, you have some unique perspective on that. But I mean, saying either in North America or globally, how, how, do, you, how do you think it's changed over the past 15, 20 years? I think globally, the most important thing that's changed, and it's not necessarily a good thing, although that's arguable, is that it's become much more commercial. Uh, there's people that are doing trips and trying to get sponsored. There are more and more companies making all kinds of equipment and trying to promote it. And there's, a, there's a strong commercial aspect there that I suppose it's a fact of life. That doesn't mean I have to like it, but it's there. The biggest thing I think that's important is that people are realizing, and I hope we've been a big part of it, is that you can actually do this stuff. It's possible to get out yeah. there and go. I mean, if Susan and I can do it, two up on an R80GS through Africa, through South America, I mean, Without, without a crew. <laughs> yeah, no crew. <laughs> it's possible to do it. You know, if we can do it, anybody can do it. There's nothing that hard about it. You just have to make the decision to go, deal with problems as they come along. So that's kind of the main thing that I see that's been changing. And there's a lot of bigger bikes, but there's now finally a swing to the 700 class size bikes, which is really good to get away from the big stuff. We, we also, um, commenting that, that kind of the, the generational shift as well um to what what is different now is people i think are now looking more at what's the experience i'm going to have rather than what vehicle you know size mm-hmm. i'm going to travel on or what stuff i have to take that yeah. that i think is a is a big shift and a good shift yeah do, do, do you think that is that is kind of like societal generational or do you think it's economic or do you think it's both or no it's it's what? generational um, I think largely the younger folks, the millennials especially, are 
they're after experience. They're not after stuff. They're not, they're, the important thing to them isn't who dies with the most toys wins. It's who, who dies with the most experience and the most interesting life and the most exciting life and the most fun life. That's what counts. That's what matters when you get on your deathbed. You know, yeah, I got more toys. So now what? But I had a good life. And mm-hmm. I think that's a good way to look at it. So. And, and when you're traveling, this is one of the things that we, you know, tell folks when we're, when we're talking to people who are asking about budgets and stuff <laughs> is that, okay, well, if you, if you buy, you know, this gadget or whatever, um, and it costs, I don't know, 50 bucks or 100 bucks. So how many days of traveling would that actually cover if you didn't buy the gadget? And, and I think you have to be weighing those things up and saying, well, you know, I mean, this was a mistake that we made when we headed off. We spent too much money on the bike. We bought too much stuff. We, we convinced ourselves we absolutely had to have, you know, all these tools and all these everything to, so just in case something went wrong. And it turned out you just, no matter what tools you take, no matter what parts you take, whatever breaks will still not be what you, you took. Um, we found that out in the bottom of South America. You know, there we were stuck. That's how we met Greg Frazier, stuck in Rio Gallegos waiting for parts. <laughs> so you, you might as well just take less stuff and, uh, and plan to deal with things as they come up and, and have more time, more money to spend to travel. That's yeah. our philosophy. Yeah. yeah. And the number one phrase that we hear from people that are on the trip is, I just sent another box of stuff home that I thought I needed. And I discovered I don't. Mm. And you notice the word another box. <laughs> Yeah, another time. <laughs> uh, it's kind of like you, you walk into a camping store and they've got all this stuff up on the wall. Well, they make it. I must need it. So I'll have one of those, one of those, one of those, one of those. You don't need it. You're in a motorcycle yeah. shop. You walk in there or you open the Touratech catalog and, oh, my goodness, look at all this stuff. Protector for this and this and this and this and this. i got to have all that stuff to protect my bike. Well, actually, maybe you don't. I mean, Herbert Schwartz said on our video series that really – great sentence you don't need all that stuff buy what you need and just go yeah i mean a lot of the time you'll 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 shed a lot of oh, the things yeah. you know in any way or people have uh, have an inaccurate idea of what they actually need based mm-hmm. on the encounter or the experience they're actually planning to have yeah. you know like if you're going to be doing single track enduro touring or something like that you know <laughs> then yeah yeah it's a totally different thing but if you're actually just going to be sticking mostly to public roads um in whatever country you're in that stuff might not be as important you might be better off putting that money into something else yes. we actually had someone uh in in the chat here robert Bennett, yeah, or like He's, yeah i rode from canada to ushuaia on a gs 1200a and a few years later i rode the whole of vietnam for five months on a cub 110. I had just as much fun on a little 110. Yeah. <laughs> maybe more. Cheers to you, Robert. Absolutely. That That's is, the right attitude. That is, that is it. I would love to, I mean, I wish you could just pop into the call right now and tell us about that because that's fantastic right. by yeah. itself. Um, yeah. We tell people a lot of times, you know, people say, well, it's, it's really expensive to ship my bike. Well, actually, you don't have to ship your bike. Um, somebody was telling me a few yeah. years ago, they, a couple flew to Thailand rented bikes for three weeks, and flew home for $3,000 total. Flights, rental of the bikes, food, station, mm-hmm. everything. That's a pretty good deal. Yeah, that's, I mean, your mind is going to be blown by riding around the backcountry of Thailand for, yeah. for was it three three weeks? 
you don't have to spend a lot of money. You don't have to do anything really expensive. You don't have to ship your bike. You can borrow or whatever. But Rent. I have to, I have to uh, however, the other perspective on things as well, which is there's really no no difference in terms of adventure between someone who you know wants to do it hard and you know cheap versus someone who wants to go on you know a tour or wants to uh, go closer to home and wants to have comfort some of it is age because as you get older you don't necessarily want to be sleeping under you know under railroad on railroad tracks or under, 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 very on, on, on railroad tracks. <laughs> cemeteries was the other one. I remember Greg yes. Fraser. Yeah, I sleep in cemeteries. Cemeteries are good. Nobody's going to bother you. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't think I'm going to do that. You know, I, I like to be able to have showers, you know, fairly regularly and, and etc. It's it's all an adventure because the adventure's in your mind. You know, if, if, if what you're doing is stretching yourself and, and kind of push, pushing yourself out of your comfort zone, whether that means in, if you're in England and that means you're going to France or whether in, you're in the U.S. and that means you're going to Mexico, you know, it, it's still adventure. You know, you might, you don't have to go far. It's just all in your mind to, to kind of get out and yeah. push yourself a bit. Well, I remember my first adventure. I was 17 and a friend's bike broke down in Prince George, which is nine and a half hours from here. And I went up with a friend on the back of my 250 Ducati with a little tiny, really, it's a solo seat, but two of us squeezed onto it. We rode up to Prince George, fixed the bike, and rode it back. And I hadn't realized it was nine and a half hours to Prince George. We were thinking we were going to be back that day. So, yes, we had an adventure. We rode all night, and I had only sunglasses. I didn't have regular glasses, so I could actually see what I was doing. So I rode without glasses all night long, and that was an adventure. But I was 17. So, yes, that was a big deal for me then. But I realized, you know, I can do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And some people get the itch to do it earlier than others, I guess, too, sure. right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So where do you see this going? Where do you see the adventure world going uh, you know, down the road? And w what kind of projects do you guys have in store? That's here, two questions. Know? So I'll answer the first one. Where going? Sure. Um, I think adventure travel for the next year is going to be very restricted. So we're talking micro adventures for the next year. And I think you need to think about if I want to do a big trip right now, I can't. I mean, I know there's a lot of people really frustrated because they have planned a big trip this year. Well, okay. I also know of a lot of people who've headed off and realized, and Doug Watke comes to mind. He says, I got an hour down the road and said to my buddy who was riding me to the airport or wherever it was he was flying out from, and said, I got to unload some of this stuff. I got too much stuff. He hadn't taken the bike on a test ride with all his stuff. So an hour from home, he's unloading too much stuff. So get out there and test the bike fully loaded. Check your camping gear. Make sure it all works for you. Make sure the bike is working for you. Um, enjoy the adventure, but you're preparing, planning, prepping. You're thinking about your route, where you're going to go. You're getting more information on it. Um, I think that's that's really important. But once we get past this next year and the world opens up again, I think there's an awful lot of people who are going to say, I've been dying to go. Now I'm going to go. And nobody's going to want to get on an airplane. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> unless you have to, you may have to occasionally. Yeah. But these um, week trips to Mexico, Puerto Vallarta or whatever, I don't want to do that. I want to get out and go overland and 
stay safe from a medical point of view, uh, but still get a chance to talk to people and see things and have an adventure that way. So I think that there's going to be a lot more people doing a lot more travel over land. So mm-hmm. I think it's going to grow. Yeah, I think so too. And that matches what we've been seeing in the industry, yeah. which is just a, just a, just a tremendous, I don't say explosion, but there's definitely been a, been a growth, uh, borderline explosion of, uh, new bike sales, used bike sales, as well as all kinds of other recreational equipment. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I'm just so happy to see it, you know, because, you know, we're all still fairly, I mean, motorcycling in North America is not like it is in a lot of other mm-hmm. countries where it's a regular form of transportation. So here we're recreational and in a way we benefited from, from the recreational status, which we weren't really sure that was going to happen. Right. You know, we were just like, you know, around March, April or something like that. Everyone's like, Oh crap. I mean, you know, are we going to have to shutter up our doors and everything like that? Um, you know, but a lot of people in, in the industry have some extremely positive, uh, things to report and they're energized. Yeah. And I think that, that it's a wonderful thing. And I think that the adventure segment of it has an important role to play in that as a scope. Yeah, I think that's you know, the one that gets people going somewhere, going a little bit farther than their usual. And it's, it's so nice to see so much of that stuff now available. I mean, I, I whinge about the commercialization, but on the other hand, for our trip around the world, I had to make the saddlebags, I had to make the racks, I had to make the box, I had to make everything. There was nothing available. Today, you can go, yep, one of those, one of those, one of those, one of those, and you're done. You're ready to roll. It's so easy now, and there's so much good stuff. You know, it, it makes it just so much easier to do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, for for getting things prepped, you know, you guys, you guys created a, a, a DVD series a while a while ago called The Achievable Dream. It's fairly comprehensive, you know. I mean, is that you know? Yeah, uh, yeah I, I, mean, it, I mean, well, they're just the brief history of that. When um, we first started doing events, uh, we got asked about our trip, and we got. I remember the very first presentation we did, which actually was at a BMW MOA um, when we've been only back a little while. But we get getting asked, well, so what do you do? How do you do this? How do you do this? How do you do this? So we started doing these how to go around the world on your motorcycle presentations. And they grew and grew and grew and got really, really long. And eventually, I think it was like, we peaked at about five or five or six hours with a lunch break. Uh, and, it, and they were full. And people people came. And then we, we taped it. We, we videotaped it. And, and we created the first Achievable Dream DVD. It was a single DVD. Grant and I talking for a long yeah, time. Boring. Editing to edited down to like, you know, two and a half hours and, and we sold like thousands of them. And we thought, wow, this is really good. We should je- we should expand this. And so we got really ambitious and we and we interviewed literally one year at our events, we interviewed 150 different travelers. And we, we had a film crew and, and we asked them all kinds of questions about all of the aspects wow. of their travels. And then we took literally two years with a full time editor <laughs> to take the several hundred hours worth of video and bring it down to what ended up being 18 hours, five DVDs, um, seven discs, seven discs, a quarter of a million dollars later. It was kind of like the, the everything you need to know about motorcycle travel from the people who've been there and done that and got, got the t-shirts and the awards and stuff. So mm-hmm. that's what it consisted of. And again, it wasn't planned to be that ambitious. Oh, not like even many close. things that we do, not even close. like many things that we do, when you get halfway through, you can't like stop. <laughs> like we had pre-sold hundreds and hundreds of copies of the whole thing in order to fund the, the video editing. So we couldn't just 
Well, the original plan was for a four four discs, four box, four DVDs, and so we sold the box set. And then we realized we can't fit it all on four discs. So two of the boxes got double discs. And then we realized, wait a minute, we still got to get tire changing in there. So that ended up being a DVD all by itself. Um, so, and it just so so as a result, we have this you know DVD series which is now on Vimeo, so that people can you know because DVDs obviously are not a format that everybody can use anymore, but it's all on Vimeo. Uh, I think it's 15 separate topics, separate episodes that you can download. And uh, we f frequently do arrangements whereby people can get free downloads for some of the stuff so that they can get to know it. But it's still, it's timeless. We didn't ask the question, you know, which bike should you take? Yeah, that was the probably the, yeah. the most important thing of the whole thing was that, you know, what, which bike is a horrible question. We've heard it too many times, but which bike is the best bike for you today with what's available now? And next year, that bike's been discontinued, so it's irrelevant. So that kind of stuff doesn't matter. It's more important to understand what it is you really need. Mm -hmm. What's your criteria? Yeah, how do you figure out what's the best bike for you? Mm -hmm. That's the most important thing. Um, so there's a lot of concepts, um, a lot of philosophical thinking about what works and what doesn't work and how to solve problems and that kind of stuff. So it's it, it's 20 years from now, it'll still be as relevant as it was when we first made it. Mm -hmm. Right on, right on. So do you guys have, have any other, uh, you know, projects going on down the line? You know, being creative is a lifelong endeavor. <laughs> well, our biggest project right now is converting the website, upgrading the website. Um, I've been the primary developer since day one, way back in 19... Mm -hmm. 97. <laughs> uh, yeah, a long time ago. And it's, it's got to grow. We've added pieces to it over the years and we've upgraded it. How many pages? Uh, 200 and something thousand. I forget. The last time I looked at it, it was over 200. So, and that was a few years ago. I don't want to know anymore. There's too many of them. So it's not a small task to, no, to it's a major upgrade. job. So the biggest thing that we're working on right now is the massive upgrade. The new website is actually live. It's part of. The old website has been converted and moved over, so that's live. Um, you can see it, and it's all it's all there. But there's so much left of the old site that I still need to convert. The hub forum is massive, massive thing, and it needs to be converted into the new system. So yeah, those databases I mean, are extremely fragile. Oh, yeah, we. I mean, you're. Fr I mean, I'm afraid to touch databases like like once they get that size. Think of, think of all the information. Oh yeah, like it's lost if if something goes no, wrong. That's, I mean, that's it's, a disaster it's a, of epic proportions. Yeah, people ask us, well, how can you leave some of this old stuff behind? Well, you know, some of that old stuff is actually good for people to understand how things work. Uh, like we've got a shipping database where people can put in the shipment that they did from New York to Thailand. Okay, that particular one is ten years old, but he learned a lesson in there about how to deal with. The people, so we leave it in there. It's still perfectly valid information from the learning point of view. Uh, so that's still there, and um, but that's my main project for the next six to eight months is converting and upgrading the website, and of course preparing for events for next year. We're mm -hmm. already opening registration for a few events. Virginia is already open for 2021. Oh, awesome! Okay, that's that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, all right, guys, let's try to. Yeah, yeah, we've been, we've been, we've been, uh, we've been online for a while here. I know, I know it, uh, gets, gets, gets tiring talking sometimes for, for this long, but, 
uh, just signing off there, are there, are there any words of inspiration? Not, now that you haven't given any already, <laughs> any words of, ins- <laughs> any words of inspiration that you would like to leave someone that's looking to get, uh, into the world of ADV? This is our boilerplate question. Just, just get out there and go. Don't, yeah. you know, don't, don't over plan. Don't overthink it. Just get out there and go and, and uh, experience it and come back and share your experience and inspire others to go. Yeah, I think that's the most important thing is is to just do something, get out there, go, have an experience, and your next experience will be bigger and brighter, and you'll learn and you'll move on. But it's important to go, try something. Or you could sit on the couch and watch TV all day long and <laughs> do nothing. Um, I'm reminded of um, Simon Gandolfi. Simon Gandolfi, who at 80 years old, rode to Everest from England, did South America on a 250cc motorcycle at 78. And his kid said, Dad, why do you do all this crazy stuff? He said, well, what do you want me to do? Sit on a Chesterfield or, and watch television all day? Boring. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, he does it in a particular way. And I should mention that Simon Gandolfi would make a perfect Santa Claus. Oh, right so on. He's, he's oh. not this, you know, healthy looking, wonderful guy and tall he's and skinny. He's a wonderful guy. But he's he's not, a wonderful he's guy. He's not skinny. <laughs> He's grandpa. He lost his passport in South America, and at every border he came to, they said, "Come in, Grandpa, and we will fix it up for you." And he had no problem. He made it through. So, if he can do it, hey, come on, you can do it. Yeah, that's awesome. And uh, one of the one of the viewers in the chat is a fan. uh, Is William Blodgett uh, says, "Thanks for all you have done for the community, Grant and Susan." Thank you. See you again soon. That's awesome. Go out there and enjoy. See you on the road somewhere someday. Well, all right, guys. Thanks very much. Um, If you want to hang on to the line uh, afterwards, um, you guys got any questions? We're here. A few minutes. Um, Yeah, that's cool. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye bye. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, thanks again to Susan and Grant for spending their time um, here uh, tonight, sharing their hard earned insight. Um, it is impossible to say how much they have impacted so many lives. Having access to an experience, experienced and knowledgeable community um, helps at every step of the journey, from planning to preparation uh, to, or to just making it home. And as hard as all of that is, sometimes the most difficult hurdle to overcome is simply making the, de- the decision to go and embark on what is for many a new beginning. And doesn't that sound good sometimes? Whether you're starting in the middle of or just thinking about how ADV fits into your life, uh, everyone, please be sure to visit horizonsunlimited.com. And coming down the road, please join us in uh, two weeks on Thursday, September 3rd, for the next installment of ADV Moto Live with Jenny Morgan and Juan Brown as they share their story of the Western tat and back. Not only will they tell us and describe uh, some of their experiences on their favorite sections, but also take questions from the audience about all things TAT. So if you are planning on doing it or just curious about it and what it's like, uh, you know, we're talking about being able to get out and just do some more things that are local, kind of more in your backyard or inside the country because a lot of the borders are closed. This is a great chance. Tune in and get your TAT on um, and get your questions answered from some experts with recent experience. As always, your support is always appreciated. Uh, and keeps the motorcycle world running. Don't forget to like and subscribe 
to our channel. Visit VentureMotorcycle.com for more news, reviews, videos, merch, and more. Until next time, everyone, ride safe and have fun.